0: many um, throughout this week who were there and available and serving the Lord through serving others during this week we praise God for each one I can't possibly mention all the names but I'm so thankful to have both men and women uh, volunteering and working and and serving the Lord we had so many comments uh, from people from parents uh, from the kids and they had a great time at the same time while they uh, while they heard the gospel and had uh, an had a, a opportunity to see people, the gospel in action through people sharing and ministering to them. So thank you for your prayers for that and your participation with that. Our scripture reading now <clears throat> comes from Colossians. We'll start in chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, and we'll go in through chapter 2, verse 15. So if you don't have a Bible of your own, raise your hands. Our ushers will bring a Bible to you. And turn there to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Please stand with me in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Follow along with me as I read aloud Colossians 1, 24 through 2, 15. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of fullness, of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you by plausible arguments, but though I am absent in body, Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the, f- the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith, in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by cancelling the record of debt, the record of, of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. May God give us understanding in this portion of scripture that we read and be preaching through this morning. If you would, please remain standing with me as we join a time of prayer. After prayer, our choir comes with special music and then the preaching of God's word for today. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to, to worship and to serve you. We just pray, Lord, that you would cleanse our hearts so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for this week, and we thank you for the activities that we experience and opportunities to give out the gospel. We pray, Lord, that your word would be fruitful, that those girls who heard your word would um, come and be a part and a fellowship with us and come and trust in Christ and want to follow you and live for you for the boys in boot camp as well that they would remember your words that were shared remember the people who shared them, uh, shared with them your word and may it register in their hearts and may you draw them to, to the Lord Jesus Christ then draw them to this church where they can grow and mature in their faith. We thank you, Lord, this week for, for Heidi giving birth to um, Jordan Dexter and allowing them both to be healthy and well. And we pray, Lord, that you would just continue to bless his growth and uh, her recovery and that you would um, allow him to be a part of that family that, that loves you and serves you. So we thank you for your blessings this week, and we pray, Lord, that you would uh, take your word now and um, help us to give attention to your truth, to take it in, and to be encouraged by it, to be motivated by it, to live our lives to your glory, to reach maturity in our faith, uh, in our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Paul starts this chapter in Colossians 2 using the same phrase or the same word. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. How great a struggle I have for you. A a toil, a labor, a work. Paul reminds them that he has labored for them. And this shows the heart of of Paul and the love that he had for them. Notice in chapter 1, early in chapter 1 he talks about the love that they have. In verse 4 he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. He reminds them of the love that they have for all the saints and then he talks about his love, his willingness to work, to labor, even to suffer for their sake, and we mentioned that last week, how how thankful, uh, you know, serving Christ means that we're willing to give of ourselves, to give of our lives for the sake of others, hearing the gospel, and coming to trust in Christ, and so Paul has set the example, in fact, he's following the example that Jesus has set for us, and so not only for them, but he says they and for those that Laodicea, Laodicea was the closest city to, uh, to them. And so Paul was, was uh, ministering to them as well, or willing to minister to them. And, and he just had a love for all believers wherever they were, wherever they lived. And so he expresses that to them. In verse two, he says, this is what he wants. That their hearts may be encouraged. This is a key in this section because we're going to see what it is that encourages our heart. We have a, a big issue today with, um, with uh, mental well-being, people being discouraged. And we have people who look for different ways that they might deal with that, and they are all looking in wrong ways. But Paul says, I want you to be encouraged. And he lists the things that that cause for us to be encouraged. Notice one of the first things, being knit together in love. Being knit together together in love. He's using that terminology that's saying that we are tied and sold and close and woven together in love. That's one of the things that encourages us and keeps us encouraged. So when you think about that, when you are discouraged, what is it that you need? You need to pull away from the people of God and stay away from them as far as you can and forget about God and remove yourself from God. No. What you need to do is recognize that it is the knitting together of God's people that brings encouragement to you and to the entire body. And so he's saying, be knit together in love. He wants them to be knit together because he knows that's going to bring them to encouragement, to reach All the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. What he's saying there is the other thing that encourages us is our development and our growth, our maturity as we grow in the Lord. You know something about a child is that they can get excited very quickly and they can become sad very quickly. Sometimes over the smallest of things. And when an adult does that, we say, Wow, you're very childish. You're very childish. Why do you get excited over such a little thing and then get sad so quickly and go from hot to cold and from hot to cold? Well, that's a sign of immaturity. Paul is saying he wants you, he wants each of us to experience that growth and development. And it's This is connected to this section. Look in in chapter 1, verse 26. He talks about this mystery, this gospel, and he talks about uh, uh, um, what it provides. Or or this gospel has been delivered to to us, and because this gospel is being delivered, we are part of this ministry of taking the gospel to others. And in this ministry... Um, Paul kind of focuses on, 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 thing, uh, on three things. He said, the focus of this ministry is Christ. Verse 28, he says, Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. The focus is Christ. Notice, it's Christ who we proclaim. In all of our doing, in all of our worshiping, in all of our living, in all of our singing, we recognize it's Christ. I'm a little bothered sometimes when when I hear Christian songs and and see a Christian worship time, and subtly the words and the song changes its focus from Christ to us. It, it's a subtle thing. We begin to sing about Christ, and then we start talking about our experiences. It's that. that that, that is okay, but watch how it suddenly changes to our experiences to, till it becomes all of our experience and less and less about who Christ is. Yes, you have a testimony, and, and, and that's what you are to share, but remember that testimony. Your life needs to be focused on Christ. When you talk about salvation today, people are thinking about what, what it is that is, a, 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 a that, that, that the tangibles that they think they can get out of it. In other words, I want to trust God because he can heal me from sickness. I want to trust God because he can give me a job. I want to trust God because he can put some money in my pocket. And, and, and do you remember the people when, when Jesus lived and, and he, he did miracles and a crowd followed him? He talked to the crowd and says, you guys are just following me. Because I changed some, some water to wine, and you get to drink that. I took a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and I, I fed a whole crowd. You're following me for lunch. And he says, I'm not impressed with that. You know why he's disappointed? There's nothing wrong with wanting to get something out of it, it's that they look for so little, so little. Lunch? Really? So I'm looking for more than I'm looking for healing for my body. Really? Is that it? After you've fed and after your body is healed, 20, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years later, what's going to happen? See, we don't recognize our real need for God. We need him for our very life, and we need him for eternity, for all of Eternity. And Jesus is saying, don't be short-sighted in worshiping me. Don't worship me or like me or flock to me for those little petty things that you can get in life. Recognize that I bring all of life. Come and worship. And so Paul says in this ministry, him we proclaim. We we preach, we teach, we live, we focus on Him. This church is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life needs to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I talk to people, I've been talking to people through a boys camp and, and our girls jump rope camp, and they're impressed with the church and the church ministries, and I hear things like this, man, we ought to go to Channel 6. We ought to go to Fox News, and we ought to tell them, what we're doing with this jump rope camp. We would get cameras here. We would get loads of people. And then and i say, you know, I'm not really interested in that. I'm not interested in having Channel 6 flock here so they can do a story and, and make us look good. What I'm interested in is impacting the lives of people. Impacting the lives of people. And so Paul says, it's him we proclaim. We're not proclaiming a program. We're not proclaiming education. We're not proclaiming getting people out of poverty. We're not pro- proclaiming wellness and wholeness and financial stability. Now, all of those things are fine and good, but guess what? They're not good enough. They don't take you far enough. None of those would get you to heaven. Not a single one of them. You can be as educated as you want to be, as healthy and as fit as you want to be, as as rich and prosperous as you want to be. Money won't get you into heaven. Your good looks won't get you into heaven. What you think or what you know or your philosophy won't get you into heaven. Only Christ will. And so Paul says, Him we proclaim. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that we proclaim and he needs to be the focus of our preaching and the focus of our living. He also says this, what it is that we do in this ministry, the method of our ministry in chapter 1 verse 28, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Warning and teaching. He said that's, that's, that's the the healthy part of the essential gospel. It is warning and it is teaching. It's warning of the judgment of God and the penalty of sin. And it's teaching people about the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace that allows us to escape that penalty. And so we preach and we teach God's word. We teach and we preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he talks about the goal of his ministry, the goal of any ministry in Christ in verse, chapter 1, verse 28. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That we, you pay attention as you read scripture, you see little words like for and that. that those Those are statements that wrap things up, summary statements. Why do we have this? So that we can that we may he says we preach Christ we give the gospel both its positives and its judgments and its blessings we give that gospel why so that we might present everyone mature in Christ this is important we don't give the gospel just so people can say they're trusting in Christ but that they might grow and mature in Christ Because there's a lot of people who heard the gospel, and they say, yeah, when I was little, I went to Sunday school, and I know about God, and I trusted in him. In fact, a lot of, most people think that. A lot of people come to church, and and they think that they are trusting in Christ because they said a prayer. Because they say that they believe. He says, but the goal of the ministry is not to to bring you to the brink and have you birthed, but to have you grow and mature in Christ. Why? Because that's a sure sign that you really have life. You're growing and maturing. So he says in verse 28 that we may present everyone what? Mature in Christ. And so as we get to chapter 2, he, he, he's talking about that maturity, what that looks like. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the, full, all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. He's talking about growing in their understanding in their knowledge of the mystery. Well, the mystery is just a simple word for gospel. This gospel message... The gospel is simple, but it's so rich and it's so full. And he presents this gospel. He speaks of it as a mystery, but then he tells us what this mystery is. This mystery, which is Christ. I think Paul talks about mystery a lot here because people were intrigued with this thought that there is a group of elite people who have a special knowledge and have attained something that others have yet to attain. They have a secret that others don't quite know yet. They've uncovered or discovered some mystery that others don't know. And Paul says, I get that. There's a mystery to be explained. There's some things to understand. But let me tell you what that mystery is. He says, it's Christ. It is Christ. And so he is revealing this mystery. He's He's, he's saying, look, you don't have to, 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 to think that there's this group of upper echelon uh, of prima donnas who who know special uh, information and knowledge that you don't know and you are, you're not privy to. He says, this mystery is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are in Christ then and you're growing in him, you have all that God intends for you to have and all that you need. There's nothing left out. It's interesting that most of the cults start with something that you need to know that the Bible ain't quite told you or you haven't figured out by just a, 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 a random view or, or, or a, 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 a kind of an a average person's intelligence to, to, to achieve this. We have to give you something more. Most of the cults come and, and, and try to, to, get to, to, to get you to buy into that. And so he's, he's, he's tearing that down. He says, this mystery is Christ. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Since is in Christ. There's no other secrets that you need to know apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to grow in Him, you need to be filled with His knowledge and wisdom that comes from Him, but there's nothing else outside of Christ that is going to add to your salvation and and enhance it in some way. Then in verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. He's dealing with false teaching. That is rearing its head in the church among believers, and it's plausible arguments. He says they're going to say some things that may sound good and sound right, but he cautions them that listen. You need to understand this real truth is resides in the Lord Jesus Christ in Him only. And so he says in verse five: For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness. Of your faith in Christ, so he talks about what this maturity looks like, verses six through fifteen. Therefore, as as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Again, that underlines what we've said before: is that the the um, the goal of the ministry of the gospel is to have believers grow. And walk in Christ. Not just to come and, and to be babes in Christ, or, or not just uh, 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 say that they believe, but to actually grow and mature in Christ. That's a lifelong process, isn't it? You're not over when you come and, and you say, I believe in Christ. You're starting your walk with Him. That that the term walk is used a lot in the Bible, it means your journey as you live with uh as you live. And as you grow, as you live in Christ, you are to grow in him. You are to mature in him. He, he highlights that even more, verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. So he says, as you receive Christ, walk in him. I began to look at that and read that, and I noticed something that was, I was slightly skipping over. In verse 6, He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so, walk in him. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. In other words, when you put your trust in Christ, it wasn't just, Lord, it wasn't just, uh, uh, I want my sins forgiven, and I want eternal life. He says, You're you recognizing him as Lord, which means that he has control over your life. He has the say. He is the one to whom we are to obey and submit to. So, that. Coming to faith in Christ means putting yourself under the lordship of Christ. He says walk in him, rooted and built up, established in the faith. These are things, this, this describes what it means to walk in him. You're rooted and built up. What he's saying here in verse 4 and in verse 6. In verse 4, he says, Don't be deluded by plausible arguments. In verse 6, he's saying, Be root, or verse 7, be rooted. Don't be deluded, be rooted. Don't be confused by what others are saying about Jesus, about the Bible, about who God is but be rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rooted and grounded, established in the faith, learning from the word of God so that you might not be taken by anybody else who wants to lead you in the wrong way. So he uses a couple of terms, rooted and built up in him. He uses the term established in the faith. You get the idea rooted as something that's growing, and is strong and developed and not easily uh, toppled over. He says established, you get the idea of a building, a structure that is built up and is solid. Jesus talked about building your life on a rock, on a firm foundation, so when the storms come, you won't be washed over. So this is the idea of what it means to, to, what it looks like to grow in Christ going back to what we talked about before he says these are the things that encourages one in in Christ this is is what brings encouragement being fitted together or knitted together with other believers in love growing and developing amongst other believers uses a few other things that describe this verse 70 he uses a phrase he says abounding in thanksgiving that, that describes what it looks like to mature in Christ, abounding in thanksgiving. One of the things that we do as we worship today, we remember what Christ has done for us. We remember what God the Father has done through Christ. We, we celebrate that. We rehearse that in our minds, and it causes us to be thankful. If you have a hard time worshiping God, if you have a hard time uh, 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 Turning your heart towards him because you're not reflecting on his truth and his word and allowing that to to register in your heart don't don't, don't just look past it dwell on it meditate on it, take it in and think about the ramifications of of, of what God has done for you reflect on it think through your life and then be thankful, he says abounding in thanksgiving in verse 7 abounding in thanksgiving, one of the ways we practice that in our daily life and and, and we need to do this without it just becoming rote or or just becoming something empty is we thank God for even our food, the reason why we do that is, is that we know we need to eat several times a day right? and so each time we eat we're reminded that our food is a blessing from God, and that we are to be thankful for it. Now, we tell our children to do this, and, 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 and we need to remind ourselves. I caught myself yesterday. I had taken a bite and said, uh-oh, I didn't pray. Now, I don't do that because it's become a curse to me, like, oh, if I don't pray, this food is going to kill me. Now, it, it's not superstition. It's an opportunity to remind ourselves to be thankful that I have much to be thankful. Now, sometimes we eat and our day is, is just not going well and, and, and we, we wonder, we don't say it out loud all the time, but we wonder, what do I have to be thankful for today? But as we put that food in our mouth, we need to remind ourselves how good God is. And so it's an opportunity to abound in thanksgiving, reflect on God's goodness, and then to give Him thanks. You know, thankfulness shows maturity. It is a measure of maturity. You give a child something and they just expect it. But as you get older, you realize what it takes to get that. You begin to appreciate that for me to eat at McDonald's, Means I had to work hard to earn some money and keep that money and collect it and then to go and, and, and use it on this food. You say, I don't care about no McDonald's. I, I don't even like McDonald's. Doesn't matter what you prefer and what you like, you recognize that it takes somebody doing something, much effort, to, to, to allow you to swipe your card at McDonald's and get something there. No matter what it is, it, it, you recognize. So as you mature, you begin to appreciate, or you, a sign of maturity is appreciating the effort and what it takes. You, you, you recognize that, that, that life is not easy. <laughs> you, you recognize that, that, that life is, you can't take it for granted. And you begin to be thankful, you reflect. That's what maturity provides. So he says abounding in thanksgiving. I like that phrase in verse 7, just as you were taught. Paul had taught the gospel, and he expected them now to live according to that gospel. Remember what the purpose is, to bring believers to maturity, to allow them to mature. So he expects them now to act on what they were taught. He, he actually expected them to do what they were taught. Not to let it go in one ear and out to the other. He expected them to actually show that they had learned what it is they had been taught. And so we ought to expect that from each other. In verse 8, another sign of maturity is shown there. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit goes on to explain what this is. But one of the signs is that you're not easily fooled. You're not easily fooled. We know, we, we, we tell our children, don't talk to strangers. Because we know that a child is easily tricked into something. If somebody gives them candy or offers them something and, and they seem nice on the outside. The child in their mind thinks, well, he smiled at me. He's not a mean person. And we tell our child, look, you don't quite have the discernment. So until your discernment develops, you just don't talk to people that I haven't agreed with. I don't know, and I haven't given you the okay. Stay away from them. The sign of maturity there is that we begin to develop an understanding and discernment so that we're not taken in easily by those who would deceive us. You know, there's a lot of folks who would deceive us, a lot who who would trick us and try to tell us one thing or another. But as we mature, we learn what the truth is. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. He wants us to examine all of these things and compare them to what the Lord Jesus Christ has taught us. What does God's word say of how I should be how I should be living and how I should be thinking? And let me compare it to that. The, the word is, is even stronger. He uses the word, don't let them take you captive. What does it mean to be taken captive? Taken captive means someone came and 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 took you they arrested you. And took you against your permissions almost, uh, but you're now handcuffed and led off somewhere and and and, and put in in, 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 in prison or, or, or taken. It's it's warfare mentality. Little kids play capture the flag. You play these games. But what happens is someone has, who, who is against you has come and taken control over you, and you now must submit to them. They relieve you of your position, of your power, and you now must obey them. He says, don't let that happen to you. See to it that no one takes you captive. Don't let them bring in their speech, their philosophy, and their talk that's separate and different from the gospel that captivates you or captures you so that now you are doing what they say instead of what your Lord says. Don't go for it. Don't give in to it. When you think about it, it's more than just don't go for it or don't give in to it. It's don't be captured by them. That's a little more powerful statement. It's saying, when they come out against you, bring out some ammunition so you can actively fight against what they have. He saying, arm yourself and be ready to act. Be ready for warfare. Ephesians is a, is a, is a, a, a parallel passage or a, a letter that was written at the same time having some of the same things. And we see the strong wording in Ephesians chapter 6 about warfare. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we we wrestle, we war against spiritual forces. And he's saying that same thing here. Don't allow Satan and his forces to, to overpower you. Look what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, We talked about what that meant when we looked at our our introduction into Colossians. The elemental spirits of the world talks about Satan's forces. And what does he do? He he brings in, through, through his philosophy, he attempts to capture and captivate people. We need to be careful about buying into their philosophy and being captivated by it sin would do that to us. You know, what sin does is say, hey, you need a little bit of this. Let me introduce this into you. Here, you can have all you want. And before you know it, uh, we're addicted to that. We're drawn away by that. He says, don't let that happen to you. But he doesn't only say, uh, he, he doesn't just say don't let it happen. He shows you how to do it or, or to give you the motivation. Verse 9, for in him, fact is several key words the encouragement and a motivation to stay free from the entanglement of sin is given in several verses here in verse uh, uh, 9 we look at it, it says four look at the word four in other words it says see to it that nobody grabs you and kidnaps you and takes you off to a foreign place and causes you to be a prisoner or slave and he, he gives you the motivation for not letting that happen. A couple verses. Verse 9, for, for in him, verse 10, and, he adds to it, and you have. And, and then he also adds to it in verse 11. In him also, so this is more motivation in verse 11. And then in verse 13, he says, And you were, and he he explains these motivations for for keeping yourself from being uh, 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 overpowered by the enemy. Now, how do you do that? Let's look at some of these in detail. Verse 9. What keeps you from being overpowered by Satan and all of his forces? In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He's saying, the thing that keeps believers from being under the power and sway of Satan is that Christ is fully God. And what does that mean? That Christ is in us, then the power of God is in and available to us to fight this battle against Satan and all of his forces so that they don't come in and and, and take over us. So... Number one, Christ is fully God. Now what does this mean, he explains in verse 10. And, you can kind of circle that in your mind, and not only is Christ fully God, and you have been filled in him. In other words, Christ in us is now providing what we need to to, to tangle in his warfare. He provides us what we need to fight against sin. See, before Christ was in us, we were in, we were in the world and, and, and we had no ammunition against this. But now that Christ is in us, we can't use that as an excuse anymore. We are not simply overtaken and overpowered because Christ is powerful and he's in us. He's going to explain more of this, but, but, but it helps us to see this is that, you know what? When I sin, it's not because I couldn't help it. Not if I'm a believer, not if I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. When I sin, I sin because I willingly submitted to what tempted me. I gave in to it. I cannot say I didn't have the power to fight it. I gave in to it. So he says this Christ is fully God. And in verse 10, he says this You have been filled in him. And look what he says. Who is the head of all rule and authority. Again, those words rule and authority, he's talking about all rule and all authority. He is especially talking about demonic forces, Satan and his demonic forces. He's saying Christ is rule over that. He has power over that. Satan cannot just come in and take over us because he can overpower us anymore. Because Christ is in us. Now you would think and say, well, that means that the Christian never sinned. And now you know that's not true. Because you know and have experienced, just as I have, that I do sin. But when I sin, it is not because I had no power to fight it. It must be because I chose not to fight it in the right ways. He says, Christ is in me, and so his power is fully available to me. Now, this is much different than the world's terminology. You know, Satan Satan is smart. He knows he can win most of his fights. If you ever watch the animal world, they pick their fights very carefully. And so when two animals of same power or same uh, strength or similar strength, when they face each other, they would rather not fight. And so they, most of them have some rituals whereby they assess each other and they kind of walk around and walk around and they then they decide, is it worth it? And you usually notice one who has a stronger motivation that, 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 that will, will live on his motivation. In other words, he's saying, you know, like, if I do this, what do I risk? I risk my life. If I win this, what do I get? I get breakfast. The other one says, if I do this, what do I risk? I risk my life. If I lose this, what do I get? I get eaten. He has a bit stronger motivation. And so he will make a a very reasoned decision. Either I'm going to run and I'm going to get away or I'm going to fight to the end. And so animals would rather not have to fight if they don't have to. So one of the things that they use is intimidation. Intimidation. See, if I'm bigger than you, I keep telling you I'm bigger than you and I'm badder than you and you don't want to mess with me. That's what a rattlesnake does when he rattles. He's telling you, i mean business here. I ain't finna play with you. I'm rattling. What he's saying is, I don't really want to bite you because if I bite you and I miss, you might grab my head and I'm gone. But if I have to, I'm going to bite you. And if I do bite you, you're going down. So he's rattling and warning you. Even though he's got all his power, he's warning you, dude, don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. Don't, 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 don't you mess with me. And the animals will figure out, okay, man, nah, nah. I, I think there's something else that ain't quite poisonous that I can eat today. So I'll move on to something else. So that's kind of that method of intimidation. Now, Satan uses that same intimidation. He's like the lion, right? And so the the lion will often roar. First of all, lions would would rather take somebody else's food than than kill something themselves. You notice that? They'll wait till the cheetah kills something, and then they'll just go over by the cheetah and roar. And what they're saying to the cheetah is, I'm bigger than you. Thanks for killing my lunch. Get out of here. And the cheetah scoots on because he's smart. And the lion takes his lunch and lives. It's that intimidation that they use, that force. Satan uses that often with us. He says, look, I would rather get you by intimidation. I'm going to tell you how big and how bad I am. So you will think that you have no chance against me. And so I'm going to keep reminding you of who I am and how great I am. You You ever see fighters do that? Whether it's wrestlers or fighters, they, they, they face off. And they're trying to intimidate each other by saying, you really don't want to get in a ring with me. And if you do get in a ring with me, I want you to know I got the upper hand. And so if they can convince you of that, they have the upper hand. That's what Satan is doing to us. He's trying to convince us that we have no chance. And so what do we do? We do like we did when we were kids, you know. Bullies used to, I went to school, I went to bad schools where bullies would be by the floor. And they, they would say, hey, what time is it? Before you learned, you go, oh, man, it's 12. That's a nice watch you got, dude. Let me see it. Oh, man, I like that. It, it, would, would that fit? Does that have adjustable waistband? See, see they don't want to have to beat you up. They'd rather just take it by, 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 by deceit, and then they're going to gonna just intimidate you. Give me that watch. Give me that watch. Now, I found that if I'm willing to fight, they were less willing to mess with me. But they said, give me that watch, and they take it. Now, I, I learned some lessons along the way. But the intimidation is a big part of their game. Because what they want you to basically do is say, dude, don't hurt me. Here, take it. And they take it. They put it on their wrist. And they brag to their friends. Man, I got this. What do you have to do? You have to kill somebody? To get no, man, I just told him give it to me. He gave it to me. How'd that work? It's called intimidation. Intimidation. As I got older and bolder, found out the power that I had to fight back, I didn't let that happen anymore. First I got smart and I put my watch underneath my shirt so they wouldn't see it. What time is it? Don't you got a watch? Oh man, get out of here now. Go. See? So I learned how to play that game and not be intimidated by them just To outsmart them. But Satan is doing that to us. He's saying, I'm stronger than you. I'm more powerful than you. And you cannot resist me. Well, you know what you need to say? You're right. But you don't know who I got with me. In fact, you do know who I got with me. So you better get out of here. And and then after that, he leaves you alone. We got to fight back. He likes intimidation where he doesn't have to fight at all. And you just give in. So he says this. Don't let nobody bully you. Reason number one, in him the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. Reason number two, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Look, the one who's trying to bully you, Christ is over him. And he, can't, he knows he can't beat Christ. So we need to practice how do we live that out in our everyday lives. Verse 11, he says, "...in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ." Having been buried with him in baptism, in which we are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, what is he saying in all that? He talks about circumcision and baptism and the fact that we have. Christ has been raised from the dead, and so we have been raised from the dead. What is circumcision? First of all, circumcision, we we know physically what it is. It it was the covenant, the sign of the covenant relationship that God the Father had with his people Israel. He told Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you, and this is a sign of that covenant. I want all the males to be circumcised. And so it began began to be a a sign, an indication of, of your identity or your identification with God. All the the men were were to do that. All the males were to do that. Once they were eight days old, they were to be circumcised, and it showed that they belonged to God. It was God's mark on them to claim them, to show them that they belonged to God. Now, there's something unique about circumcision is that it is very personal and private, isn't it? most private area in a man's body, and he's saying, I want you to show your identification to me in the most personal and private and intimate way. But it's also something that's, that's, that's interesting about circumcision. It's not something that everybody else would see, right? So how does this identify the person with God? It shows then that this circumcision is obviously a sign of something else. You see, God is saying, I want you to make it clear with yourself that you belong to me, even though nobody else, that's not obvious to anybody else who just looks at you. When they look at you, you got clothes on. They don't know what you look like without your clothes on. And He's saying, this is personal, it's private. It's intimate, but it's not something that everybody else would see. Circumcision then, is a sign. Of, in fact, in Romans chapter 2, verse, verse 10 and 11, he it says it's, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. It's a sign of you being part of God, and it's internal. Nobody else sees it, but you need to be assured, and you need to know it within yourself. God knows it. You need to know it, that you have been identified with God, set apart by God. Now, he says this, it's a spiritual thing. You have been, excuse me, in verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In other words, it's not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. God is saying then to believers, both male and female in this sense, is that you belong to me and you have the mark of me, mine on you in the most personal and intimate way. Even others who look on you can't tell this all automatically, but you belong to me. I know it and you know it and you ought to live like that. He's saying in a real sense then that you worship God in your heart. That 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 Christ has done something for you, that you are connected with him. And a lot of people today we, we, we live in a world of tattoos. So so people have tattoos. You know, tattoos used to be like that. They used to be private. Not anymore. Not anymore. Now I know some of you have them so i'm not i'm not I'm not going to put you down for the stupid idea you made that you can't erase anymore. <clears throat> you can't go back on that anymore you you know if you did it'd be very painful and cost a lot. I understand that, but you know they're not private anymore they go all the way up the neck and over the ear and on the face and and, and everywhere else they, they 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 want to be seen and so uh, you know, look at me, look at me look, look at what's important to me and look at how I identify it myself but, but, but the circumcision was different than that it was saying th- th- this is private and this is personal and this is between me and the Lord and so it is in our hearts we, we, we make it it, it it needs to be real, it needs to be connected then he talks about something else baptism baptism is, is a picture Of what Christ has done. Now notice when he talks about baptism. It's the same thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's more than just a physical going down in water. Verse 12 says. Having been buried with him in baptism. Now none of us lived when Christ walked on the earth. And so when I was baptized. It wasn't with Christ there. In a physical way. But he's saying spiritually. We have again identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've identified with his death. And we have identified ourselves with his resurrection, with him being raised from the dead. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also, you were also raised with him. In other words, as Christ experienced death for us, I've identified with that. And he was raised from the dead, and I've identified with that as well. Now, how does that help me then fighting against sin? Because he's saying all of this is so that you won't be taken captive by anything. He's saying that you need to recognize what was done on your behalf. You need to recognize who you belong to, recognize the power that God has given you, and and recognize that this power is the same that Christ possessed when he conquered death and was raised from the dead. That now that he's raised from the dead, no longer does death have power over him. He conquered death. And that's a huge thing. But we can go to Satan and say, look, Christ has conquered death for me. There's nothing that you can do to me. I don't need to listen. I don't need to follow you. I am not forced, obliged to do that. I am free from you, and I will continue to walk in you. Now, Satan still plays with us because we give him power, and we need to stop giving him that power. We need to come into the saints and, 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 and exhibit that, 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 that uh, connecting ourselves with the saints of God and with his people and stop handing over him our watches, stop handing over to him our wallets whenever he just intimidates us and asks us. We need to start talking back. We need to start asking some questions. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Can you beat the one who's with me? Can you, can you overpower him? You tried that once, remember, at the cross? You tried to eliminate him once and for all, but you couldn't do it. In fact, the same thing you tried backfired and became the, one, the thing that kills you, the thing that destroys you. I am with Jesus. Jesus is with me. You have no role then and, 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 and no sway anymore in my life. And so he's saying we need to practice that in our walk. So this is a real thing he goes on to explain as you, verse 13 as you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses you know Satan tries to, tries to blackmail you we need to say to Satan my sins are forgiven what about yours my slate is clean. What about yours? My destiny is sealed. What about yours? Satan can't answer those things as we do. We belong out. We are protected by God. We need to walk in him. That's an interesting thing when you talk about walking in him. <laughs> you need to walk under his protection. Stop Venturing out in our own ways and doing our own things, and 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 wondering if, if we're we protected, and you know, feeling uh, uh intimidated and scared because we're not where we need to be. We need to walk with Him. It may sound simple. You may be thinking, how does this work? But you know what? This is a daily thing. This is a continual thing. Something that 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 Christ has the power over satan and that's a real and that's an absolute thing but our walk and experiencing that and fighting satan is something that we need to we need to, to 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 practice on a regular basis we need to get good at we need to walk in christ father we thank you for your word and your truth and the encouragement that comes from it we pray lord that you'll continue to guide us teach us how we can have the victory that you expect us to have we can live a life that's pleasing to you we can be a help to each other in that way encouragement to each other so that we're not intimidated by Satan and not moved into doing something and obeying his command simply because he scares us or intimidates us. So Lord, we pray that you would show it.